This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Your Radio Doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, products, physicians, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on Your Radio Doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. I'm always striving to live my healthiest life, so I need a health plan that has my back. With Independence Blue Cross, I get access to the largest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free virtual doctor visits 24-7. Plus, with premiums as low as $0 per month, I can stay on top of my health and keep my budget in check. Independence has given me coverage I can count on, and they'll do the same for you. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, hd 3 Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. It's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Saturday afternoon at 5. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Listen, seven months or ten months is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good evening and welcome to your radio doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. We began February, American Heart Month, with a discussion about heart failure. This week, our topic is about blood clots, how to prevent them, and how to treat them when they've already formed. We'll discuss the most common causes and the treatment of abnormal clotting. Joining us today is a proclaimed master in his field, Dr. Gino Murley, a nationally recognized expert for his research in prevention and management of deep vein thrombosis, that's abnormal clotting in the legs, which can cause pulmonary emboli or clots to the lungs. Dr. Murley is a professor of medicine and surgery at the Sydney Kimmel Medical College at Thomas Jefferson University. He's the editor-in-chief of a journal called Hospital Practice, and for many other prestigious journals, he serves on the editorial boards. This includes reviewing articles for the Annals of Internal Medicine, or Bible. He holds leadership positions in many national and international vascular medical society and has the honor of being named a master of the American College of Physicians. That's what I'm talking about, Gino. (laughs) Plus, Dr. Murley and Dr. Howard Weiss, my very first guest on your radio doctor, are the Consult Guys, a great program they offer at the annual meeting of the American College of Physicians and monthly on the website of the Annals of Internal Medicine. Pretty, pretty impressive, Dr. Murley. Welcome and so happy to have you. Well, thanks, Marianne. It's great to be here with you tonight. So, Gino, we talk about clotting. We need clots to stop bleeding, but your mission is anticoagulation. You want to prevent clots in people at high risk, or tree clots that have already formed when we don't need them. So we talk about risk categories. We're going to talk first about atrial fibrillation, uh, then people who are sedentary, maybe a long plane ride, blood uh, pools and causes clots, trauma, especially orthopedic surgeries, and cancers. Let's start with AFib. Why do patients in atrial fibrillation have an increased risk? Well, Marianne, first of all, uh, atrial fibrillation for our audience is that your heart instead of beating normally like it does, essentially quivers. One side of the heart quivers, the left side. And that quivering causes clot to develop in the left atrium of the heart on the left side. 
And those clots can then shoot out from your heart to your brain, causing a stroke to occur, or can actually go to other parts of your body. So atrial fibrillation uh, is a very risky thing for patients uh, because it could cause a stroke to happen. So I, I tell my patients when they do see me and they do have atrial fibrillation, um, they always will say, well, what do I do about this? Well, I say, well, one thing we have to think about is what is your risk for developing a blood clot to your brain, a stroke? And uh, so interestingly enough, uh, a, a formula was created and, and studied uh, to predict the risk. We, we call this CHADS VAS score. Uh, people don't, know, don't need to know what, the, 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 what that means. All it means is a formula of risk factors that you put together and you calculate a score. So uh, say I see one of my patients, they have atrial fib. I calculate the score and the score is four. And I say your chance of having a stroke with no blood thinner in your system would be about 10% per year. And so patients will say, well, gee, there's a 90% chance I won't get a stroke. I said, well, yes, but it's not good to have a stroke because it could leave you without being able to speak, move your arm. Uh, it actually could really disable a patient. So I tell them the risk of 10% is pretty high. So we should put you on a blood thinner to protect you from developing a stroke uh, and, and, and give you the safety you need. So patients oftentimes will feel more comfortable when they hear that they have a number and they know what the risk is. So they feel a lot better about that. You know, they feel, well, maybe this is the right thing to do. But I do have some patients who elect not to because they're afraid of blood thinners, which I think we'll discuss, you know, as a little further as we talk about this. But that's mm -hmm. my first aspect, the, the atrial fibrillation, defining the risk through calculating a score and then planning to use a blood thinner. And so a blood thinner doesn't mean that your blood becomes thinner or watery. It means that it's less likely to clot. So I don't, so that people are clear about that. But I, I remember about a year, year and a half ago, we had Dr. Hugh Calkins from Johns Hopkins, uh, mm -hmm. a star in the AFib world. And I remember him saying that about one in four people over 40 will get AFib at some point in their lives. And it increases the stroke risk by five times. And that's pretty impressive in itself. But then there's new there's data suggesting it might be linked to dementia. I guess if you throw mini clots and um, damage some neurons. So lots of good reasons to, to weigh column A and column B, as you say. So you decide to choose a medicine. Are there, there are two categories of medicines that we can talk about. One was what we use, warfarin, and then there were newer oral meds. Let's talk about them, Gino. Okay. Well, I, I think the, the first uh, all-time drug is warfarin. It's been around, around really a long time. It was known as Coumadin, uh, the brand name, and then Jantavin, which is another, uh, another brand name. But warfarin is the generic uh, for this blood thinner. It's an oral blood thinner. And what this blood thinner does is very simple. It blocks vitamin K in your body. And vitamin K is essential for making normal clotting factors. In fact, it, it, it prevents the making of factors 2, 7, 9, and 10. So it actually, it, when they say thins your blood, what it does is it reduces those factors from clotting. Now, people don't bleed to death from, from taking warfarin, but they take just enough of it to control the amount of 
of thinning that occurs of the blood. And that's a blood test that everyone knows when they take warfarin. You have to have a blood test on a regular basis to adjust the dose of the warfarin to keep your blood just right to prevent clots from forming. So I, I think that's the first drug. Easy to use, except you have to take, you have to uh, avoid to eating green leafy vegetables, anything that contains vitamin K. Uh, and so I, I think that's an important piece. And some people feel inhibited because they have to re, you know, impact their diet. Uh, the other aspect is there's many other medications that interfere with warfarin, such as antibiotics is a real common one uh, that we need to, to keep in mind. Now, of course, everyone has been bombarded by the new medications that are not new anymore. They're relatively old now, but about 10 years older. Uh, and these medicines are called the direct oral anticoagulants. And many of us <clears throat> have heard of these medicines as, uh, and I'm going to use the brand name and the, and the generic name. So many of you heard of Xeralto, which is Rivaroxaban. And then there's Eliquis, which is Apixaban. So uh, those are the two uh, most commonly used uh, new oral anticoagulants. Now, patients like these drugs because you don't have to monitor them. You take one pill once a day or you take one pill twice a day. <clears throat> it doesn't interfere with foods. You don't have to worry about vitamin K. So no blood tests. Don't have to worry about food or medication interaction. Uh, and so suddenly we have this, these great new drugs that uh, essentially were to replace warfarin. But I can mm -hmm. tell you, uh, in practice, warfarin is still used out there. Uh, a lot of patients feel very comfortable that they're getting their blood checked on a regular basis, usually once a month if they're stable. And, and they feel comfortable. They got a number and they feel that they're controlling the medication. And they feel a little nervous about the new drugs because uh, they think there's no monitoring. You just take a pill once a day. How do you know what's happening with the blood thinner? So I, I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. And, and I tell patients, these, these medicines are safe. They're effective. And the big question that everybody asks all the time is, is there an antidote or a reversing medication for these drugs? Say I was in a car accident and I was brought to the emergency room, will these drugs that I'm taking be able to be reversed? And that's the big question that everybody asks me, the patients do. And I say, well, I got to tell you, everybody knows that taking vitamin K does block the effect of the warfarin. And that's absolutely true. If you take vitamin K, you eat a big salad, you're, it'll actually affect the warfarin. So people can actually take vitamin K and it will affect, and, and in fact, it will essentially make the blood turn back to normal and clot normally. And we could actually give vitamin K IV. And even one step further, I could actually give you those factors that vitamin K affected or warfarin affected. I can give you those factors IV and it will essentially make your blood clot normally. So it'd get you through an operation or say you had an accident. So I, I tell patients there, you have medications that, a medication that does work. You have vitamin K or you have what we call prothrombin complex concentrate, K-Centra. That's the, the name of those factors. And then 
the next question comes up, the new drugs, you know, do they have reversing agents? And the answer is yes, they actually created an antidote for these two new drugs. And the so they do now, Gino. I'm going to uh, yeah. hold it out just for a second because I know that I had patients who were faced with that choice and we didn't always have a reversal drug or an antidote. And so people are nervous about that. Plus, I like what you said uh, that the warfarin, the warfarin lasts in your system for up to two days. So if somebody's going to have, in my world, colonoscopy, um, and we always ask the doctor prescribing it, is it safe to stop that warfarin, which we know is Coumadin or uh, Jantavin, for two full days before they come for a procedure. We don't want them to bleed unnecessarily. Um, but if you miss a dose, the, the oral meds you're talking about, like Xarelto, Eloquis, uh, Pradaxa, last for a short amount of time. They're out of your system pretty quickly. So they're easier to reverse because there's an antidote, et cetera. But we're going to talk about that too in terms of frequency of dose. And when we say you don't need monitoring, it means that when you're on warfarin, you have to have blood tests fairly often to make sure you're not too high or too low. And uh, that makes the oral drugs more user-friendly, yes? Yes. Uh, <clears throat> Marion, you, you hit all the real key points for patients. Uh, and those points that you made was the fact that the, the length of time those drugs act in your system, the new drugs are shorter acting. Therefore, as you said, you can stop them in a defined time. Warfarin, longer acting. So, and the other thing I think you mentioned, which uh, I think I'm remiss, I, I didn't mention Pradaxa, uh, the Bigatran, which is the third drug out there. And I didn't want to overlook that drug because it is used in some patients because it was one of the first ones out there being utilized for care. So I, I think, Marianne, you're absolutely right. I think our audience needs to know these drugs uh, do have uh, effects or reversing agents. Uh, and these drugs uh, have a different half-life, meaning they last longer, warfarin lasts longer, and the newer drugs have shorter half-lives, meaning they don't last as long in the system. Important to know uh, in terms of someone having, say, a colonoscopy done, like you said, mm -hmm. uh, in your practice. So I think those are important points you made. Very important. Stay with us during the break, and we'll be back with Dr. Gino Murley. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Mary Ann Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. At Independence Blue Cross, we believe in giving you the tools you need to pursue your healthiest life. From premiums as low as $0 per month to health discounts and cash rewards, it pays to have coverage with Independence. With the strongest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free 24-7 virtual doctor visits, you can feel confident that quality care is always within reach. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. When Recovery Centers of America at Devon opened its campuses on the main line and in South Jersey, they offered a new approach, local addiction treatment led by an expert caring team of professionals. RCA has since helped thousands and leads the way in innovative programs and exceptional inpatient and outpatient care, all in a beautiful setting that allows for healing and recovery. RCA answers the phone and admits patients 24-7, 365, including the holidays. All admitted patients and staff are routinely tested for COVID-19. Call now at 1-888-RECOVERY. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. When we ask questions... Questions. We make sure they're the big ones. Like, how can the healthcare industry earn the trust of patients? And what if your health outcomes and access to care weren't defined by your skin color, sexuality, gender, or zip code? At Genentech, we're removing barriers and partnering across the medical community to make clinical research as diverse as the world we serve to ensure communities have access to healthcare. Learn how we are working to make healthcare more equitable 
at gene.com slash askbiggerquestions. Welcome back to your radio doctor. And tonight's subject is blood thinners. With Dr. Gina Marley from Jefferson, we're talking about how to choose which medication for those people at high risk of blood clots. We talked about warfarin, better known as Coumadin or Jantavin, and that the newer drugs, the oral drugs, we now have medicines to reverse their effect when we need to. Um, they don't need weekly blood tests or uh, close monitoring. Um, the other reason that we pick warfarin versus an oral, depending on the situation, we are talking about people who are not pregnant. So in a pregnant woman, we know that warfarin can lead to birth defects, if I'm right, um, because it can pass from the mother to the baby. It can interfere with normal clotting in the baby. It can interfere with bone and cartilage formation and other birth defects. So if you're on a blood thinner, um, make sure that your doctor knows as soon as you become pregnant or, you know, obviously if you're pregnant and develop um, a clot in your leg or something, your doctor's going to consider that. And I always remind almost every show, especially, Gino, so important. You mentioned that if a person's on warfarin, it can interact with a lot of other meds. But we also know that when you buy over-the-counter preparations, herbs, supplements, guess what? If they happen to have vitamin K, it can interfere with the Coumadin or the warfarin. So all these things, talk to your doctor. You know, you have so much access to us now. Call us. If you don't get a call back, use my chart. Somehow, ask your doctor. These are very serious medications. So Gino, if you're choosing again between warfarin and the oral meds you mentioned, frequency of dose, kidney function, how do they play into it? Well, it's interesting. The uh, warfarin um, is not impacted by kidney function. It's very interesting. So it's not excreted by the kidneys, but is actually metabolized through the liver. So the liver is where warfarin gets used up in the body. So obviously, if patients do have liver disease, warfarin would not be a very good drug to use because the fact that warfarin would last in the system even longer because it wouldn't be metabolized through the liver. The newer drugs are excreted by the kidney, about 30% each of the drugs, except for Pradaxa, mm -hmm. which has a greater excretion or the, through the kidney, the drug is eliminated. So the other, uh, the new other two drugs, uh, Eliquis and Xarelto, those two drugs are metabolized through the liver as well. So patients who have a liver problem shouldn't be taking these medications because it actually could make their blood too thin. So I, I think we have to keep that in mind, just as you said, when you take these drugs. And, and you know, working with your doctor, uh, I, I think you, uh, you know, your doctor will keep track of that process and, and make sure you're taking the medic right medication. Uh, how I select these drugs is a, a little different. I, I, I want to tell you, uh, mm -hmm. I select these drugs, the newer drugs, Xarelto uh, and Eliquis and Pradaxa, I select them on, on how the patient uh, likes to take their medicine. So Xarelto is a once-a-day drug, and some patients like to take a once-a-day medicine. They could remember it better. Other patients say, it doesn't matter. I like to take a twice-a-day medicine because if I forget one, I could still take the other medicine, take that medicine later in the day. Good so point. They, mm -hmm. they think they're safer which is true because the medicines, uh, you know, are metabolized through the system. So I usually select uh, the drug uh, based upon uh, patient's preference. I say, what do you think? Now, are one drug better than the other? The answer is they're both just as uh, all three, Pradaxa, Xarelto, and Eliquis are just as effective 
as warfarin. Um, so, you know, one drug's not better than the other. Mm-hmm. I think they're all effective in terms of preventing you from having a stroke. So that's how I would look at mm-hmm. this. What about a person's body weight or their BMI, which is weight to height, but does uh, being overweight or does obesity affect your choice or the, the activity of the med? Yes. Uh, so I, I want to tell you, warfarin, I don't worry about that because remember, I'm going to adjust the medicine on a blood test. So I'm going to give you a warfarin and I'll be getting the blood test to adjust your medicine upward or downward. So I don't have to worry about the weight issue. But when you get to the newer drugs, Xarelto, Eliquis, or Pradaxa, if you reach a certain body weight, and this is the recommendation. So if you weigh, you know, uh, 150 kilos, that'd be pretty close to maybe about 300 pounds. Um, These drugs, we don't know how they would act in a patient of that weight. So therefore, the national guidelines are, you know, be cautious about using these drugs in patients who weigh over 150 kilos or over 300 pounds. So be cautious mm-hmm. about the use of because they don't have enough mm-hmm. information about it. Do I think they work? Clinically, I, I think they do. But if I really actually study these drugs, uh, there may be a problem with weight. And, and I think that would be why I tend to not use these drugs if you're over that uh, weight mm-hmm. that I mentioned, over 300 pounds. I Good would to tend know. not to. So the next category where you really have a passion is DVT, deep venous thrombosis. And we know thrombosis means that little clot likes to form when you don't want it to. So somebody takes a long plane ride or somebody's really heavy. If you have a lot of uh, adipose or fat in your legs, it's harder for your veins to bring the blood back uh, to be filtered into the heart and blood can pool. Or the, the tomb of the unknown soldier. If a soldier stands in the heat and their veins dilate and the blood puddles, it's, it stagnates you can form clots. So DVT means clots in your legs. And we use anticoagulants here because... So in this case, you know, when you're having surgery, uh, as as Marianne mentioned, um, so say you're having a hip replacement, we'll go to orthopedics, which is probably a more common surgery. You're having orthopedic surgery, and they're going to essentially fix your hip or knee. So it's a pretty big procedure uh, and completed in probably 90 minutes. But the issue is, is the amount of trauma that occurs during the surgery to your leg, say your knee or your hip, affects the blood vessels around there, you know, deep inside your knee or your hip area. And those blood vessels often get damaged by the uh, positioning and then putting in the new knee for the patient or the new hip. So in orthopedics, the risk of developing a blood clot has always been very high and therefore, the, this population of patients who are having joint replacement were studied very closely and showed that they actually did have a high incidence, as Marianne pointed out, the DVT, deep vein thrombosis. So studies began to develop in using medications to prevent that from happening. And they first started out, surprisingly enough, they started out with uh, warfarin, uh, our old drug we just talked about. Uh, And they gave patients uh, warfarin uh, right after the orthopedic surgery procedure, and then they adjusted their blood to an appropriate range. And by the way, they actually prevented and reduced the risk of getting blood clots after joint replacement. Well, patients, you know, orthopedic surgeons decided to let's move on to other drugs, and they started then to use heparin, another blood thinner, but that's given as an injection. 
uh, or low molecular weight heparin, another blood thinner by injection. And that worked pretty good as well to prevent blood clots. And then of course, the new medications came into play. Eliquis or Xarelto or Pradaxa began to be used by the orthopedic surgeons to prevent blood clots after orthopedic surgery, except they didn't use the same dose that was used in atrial fibrillation, the first topic we discussed here. They used a lower dose. And the reason why is the orthopedic surgeons were concerned about bleeding into the new joint that they just put in. Mm, of course. So they said, well, let's use half the dose of the Xarelto or the Eliquis or the Pradaxa. And sure enough, the orthopedic surgeons were right. It reduced the incidence of blood clots. But the orthopedic surgeons, I thought, were very unique. And they said, how long is your risk after the operation? And they studied that. And they found out your risk is about 35 days after the operation. That's why when patients go home after orthopedic surgery, they sometimes will be on blood thinner for up to 35 days after. And that's... And do I use anything other like Lovenox instead or... Yeah, m- most patients don't like to go home on getting injections. So they, the, when the new oral drugs... Uh, started to come into play. They like those drugs much better because you take one pill a day for Seralto, two pills a day for the Eliquis or the Pradaxa, and the drugs work actually very, very well in preventing clots. So um, I, I think this is this shows us that uh, we can prevent DVT in high-risk surgeries. And I think mm-hmm. that's... A- so Gino, uh, sorry, you mentioned hip and knee replacement. But let's not forget hip fractures. I know that's an area you talk about as well because the two that are elective but hip fracture, woo. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I got to tell you, the hip fracture one is more more common than we realize. And orthopedic surgeons now are operating on these patients within 24 hours of the fracture because they show that reduces the risk for this population. And orthopedic surgeons are becoming so, so sophisticated in joint replacement. They actually do them faster than they did. I remember when I was a young attending, you were in the hospital seven days after joint replacement. Now you actually go home the same day. Or if you have a hip fracture, you might be out of the hospital in three days. Yes. But I know you're up and walking and bearing weight the same day as you. Oh, same day. Yes. Well, the reverse question I have then, if a person's on anticoagulation for a different reason, AFib, which would be common in an older person who might fall, get a hip fracture. Does the surgeon delay the surgery? They don't have to now because they can reverse if they're on warfarin and they can reverse if they're on um, an oral anticoagulation. So that's good for people to hear because there's no fear if your elderly parent or you know loved one falls, we're not going to delay that surgery. Much better outcome, fewer uh, risks. But But back to the original topic of DVT or clots in the legs, the big reason we worry about it is because those clots can travel up I-95 and go right to the lungs, which could cost your life, yes? Yes. I I mean, that's the big thing that, you know, Marianne, you pointed out. If a blood clot breaks off from your leg and goes directly to your lungs, that could be a fatal event. And we know of some very famous people who actually have had major blood clots going to their lungs and ending their life. Uh, and I think that's something that, you know, we need to always keep in mind uh, about blood clots in the leg. So I always tell patients, if if you went on a, a, a you know, you flew to uh, Hawaii uh, and, and you got, you develop pain in your leg when you got off the plane about, you know, a few hours later, 
make sure you get checked out because as Marianne said, you're sitting in the plane for that period of time. You may have developed a blood clot because of pooling of the blood in the legs. Your knees are bent. You're not getting up and walking around, especially nowadays. They really don't want you to walk around, um, mm-hmm. that you get checked out because it could have an event. I, I always remember uh, David Bloom, uh, who's a famous reporter for uh, sure. uh, 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 NBC, uh, and uh, he was uh, in the Iraq war, and he was in a tank riding into uh uh, uh, into one of the battle areas. And that night, uh, he had a major pulmonary embolism and died in a room. I remember that. You know, and he was 29 years old. Uh, and uh, it was a tragic event that did happen. And that he died of a pulmonary embolism. And yeah. so. Uh, let's take a little break, Gino, if we may. And when we come back, let's talk about what signs a person would look for if they're developing a pulmonary embolus. Good, Marianne. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. I'm Caitlin Higgins, the Director of Outpatient at Recovery Centers of America at Raritan Bay, one of your addiction experts from RCA. Today, I'm here to talk to you about how COVID has impacted substance use disorder treatment. I actually did a magazine interview with Authority Magazine on this exact topic and just how we utilize telehealth now to treat substance uses in our program and just the leaps and bounds that we've been able to make having these telehealth options to expand our reach to everybody, whether you're a little too far away or just not feeling well, you don't have transportation, whatever the barriers might be. So everybody can receive the same amount of treatment for the help that they're looking for. We have been able to implement and purchase really great state-of-the-art equipment to have excellent video and audio quality. So the groups that we facilitate here in our outpatient program, some clients in person and some clients online, but with the equipment that we have, they're able to feel like they're together in the same room. So you're not feeling misplaced or disconnected just because it's virtual or anything like that. We've been able to implement new policies to ensure our virtual or telehealth only clients are getting the same level of treatment that our clients that are able to come through this door. Just trying to break down as many barriers as we can because COVID certainly impacted our lives in a ton of ways, Um, you know, an increase in substance use, an increase in mental health symptoms, an increase in isolation. And we don't want any of that to stand in the way or to prevent anybody from getting great quality care to address these issues. If you or your loved ones need help with alcohol or drugs, reach out to Recovery Centers of America at 833-969-0268 or visit rcaradiodr.com. That's R-C-A-R-A-D-I-O-D-R. We answer the phone and admit patients 24-7. I'm always striving to live my healthiest life, so I need a health plan that has my back. With Independence Blue Cross, I get access to the largest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free virtual doctor visits 24-7. Plus, with premiums as low as $0 per month, I can stay on top of my health and keep my budget in check. Independence has given me coverage I can count on, and they'll do the same for you. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. 
When you have orthopedic issues, you need a physician who eats, sleeps, and breathes orthopedics. You need an exceptionally specialized Rothman Orthopedics physician. They not only specialize in orthopedics, each Rothman physician only focuses on one area of the body, which means you can have confidence that you can get past pain and be what you were. Schedule conveniently online at RothmanOrtho.com. That's RothmanOrtho.com. When we ask questions, we make sure they're the big ones. Like when it comes to diseases, can we strive to treat, prevent, and even reverse them? And how can we make healthcare more effective and more affordable? These are the types of questions that can help impact the lives of so many patients, that help push the boundaries of innovation and healthcare for all communities. At Genentech, we are the pioneers of the biotech industry, tackling some of the biggest questions in healthcare. Learn more at gene.com slash askbiggerquestions. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, now Saturday afternoons at 5, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. Welcome back to Your Radio Doctor. We're learning so much from Dr. Gino Murley about when blood thinners are necessary. And we were talking, Gino, about clots in the legs that form if you've been on an airplane for a long time or if you've had orthopedic surgery or hip fracture. If a person has that pain in their leg, you were saying to get off a long flight, your leg hurts, get checked out because that clot could travel to your lung. How would you know if you have a clot in your lung we call pulmonary embolus? What are the symptoms a patient would have? I think the most common one that patients tell me when I, when I interview them is they felt a sudden onset of shortness of breath. They, they couldn't catch their breath and they hadn't been active. They just suddenly happens to them. And then the next thing they say is, it actually hurts to breathe. Hmm. When they take a deep breath, it actually hurts them. And they can't figure out why because they didn't fall. They didn't hurt themselves in any way. So shortness of breath is the first thing that happens and it's sudden and onset. And, and most patients tell me it's, a, it's something you experience and you'll never forget because that doesn't usually happen normally to people that they start, they, they can't. Usually if you walk up the flight of steps and you have a little shortness of breath, you understand. But just think if that happens just sitting in your chair. So that's sure. what I, I keep that in mind. And I think if people learn nothing else today, that's a good take-home message. Any kind of an acute severe symptom like that, no matter where you are, go right to an emergency department. Now, if a person is on blood thinners, we're saying that for it's an anticoagulation, but um, they're on the medication and they fall and hit their head, what should they do? Do do all and do all blood thinners that we talked about put you at the same risk of bleeding into your brain? That's what we worry about. We don't want you to bleed into your brain, and if you do, we want to jump on it right away. Are some of the drugs more or less risky than others? No, I think all the blood thinners, uh, warfarin, uh, the uh, Eliquis, Seralto, and Pradaxa, all have uh, pretty much a risk of bleeding should you fall and hit your head. Uh, you can have a bleed, which we call a, a subarachnoid hemorrhage, where you bleed into your mm. head, or a subdural hematoma. Uh, the, the worst being actually bleeding, bleeding into your brain tissue. That's the worst that could happen. So I tell patients, if you fall, hit your head, begin to develop a headache. Headache is the big, big symptom that people, I want people to keep in mind. And the headache doesn't go away. So, cause some people hit their head and uh, they don't have any headache, but suddenly later on, about a two hours later, they develop a headache which are not headache. There could be a delay. Yeah, could be mm-hmm. a delay. So I think once you say you hit your head, don't run to the emergency room, but watch 
your loved one or, or you watch yourself, then you start developing a headache, blurred vision, dizziness. I, I think you have to get to the emergency room so you could have a CAT scan mm-hmm. to make sure that you haven't had a bleed. And if you're by yourself, you might want to call somebody and say, can you give me a call in an, in an hour or two and make sure I'm okay? What if a person has a history of GI bleeding in the past from an ulcer or an abnormal blood vessel? Does that influence what blood thinner you would prescribe? Yeah, I think just the same as head bleeding. I always worry about GI bleeding. And Marianne, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're, this is your area of expertise. Um, so what I tell patients is, um, uh, I said, look, I always ask if you've had a history of GI bleeding. I always ask that as a question when I have patients take blood thinners. And if they tell me they did, I said, well, did you have an ulcer mm-hmm. of your stomach? Uh, and how did you get treated? That was there any recurrence, or was the bleeding in the lower GI tract? You know, you pass blood for the for in the bowel movement. So I always ask them that because there is a risk of people taking blood thinners who've had previous bleeds. There is a risk for them to have a recurrent bleed. Not that I'm going to not give the blood thinner, but I always ask that because I need to know should anything change. The next aspect, some people say, well, should I tell people to take some kind of antacid or one of the oral medicines, you know, that all of us know out there, Nexium and so on and so forth, that that gives you protection. Uh, I, I don't put people automatically on one of those medicines because they're taking blood thinner. But I, I'm always mm-hmm. vigilant and I tell the patients, just keep an, a watch for any bleeding, coughing up blood, vomiting blood, passing blood per rectum you got to get to your doctor if you see those kinds of things happen because you need to know what may be going on with you taking a blood thinner. There's always that risk. So it makes me think of a couple of things. With the old-fashioned, well, we call them ecchymos- an ecchymosis or plural ecchymoses that are black right. and blue marks. I wonder how that name ever came back because they're really purple. But uh, <laughs> So if you have a couple of black and blue marks, that's pretty friendly. But what we want you to watch for, let's say you blow, blow your nose, you have a simple sniffle and you see blood brush your teeth and they bleed more readily than they used to. It doesn't hurt to ask your doctor what the parameters are. And if you see black, a black bowel movement, that just is old blood coming from higher up in your GI tract. So anything black stool, blood on the toilet tissue, you want to check with your doc. So that brings up elective surgery. Let's say somebody is going to have a hip replacement or ear, nose, and throat or something elective or even a GI procedure or dental work. Mm-hmm. Should the patient stop their medication? And by the way, if they do, don't look it up on the internet and it says stop it, X number. Ask your doctor. Ask the doctor who prescribes it. Not the dentist, not the GI right. doc. Ask the doctor who prescribes it. Yes? Yes, I, I agree with you. And, and like many cardiologists are very strict about this. They tell their patients, you need to call me up if you're having dental extraction, you're having an upper GI, uh, you know, endoscopy, or colonoscopy. Mm-hmm. You need to call your, you know, call me up and I'll tell you when to stop the drugs prior to the procedure. Um, and so I, I think that's a rule that's hard and fast. Patients should adhere to that. Now, many places will have rules that they put into place already. Like uh, if you come to Jefferson, and you're going to have a colonoscopy. We have a we have rules to when to stop the drug prior to the procedure. And you remember, if we do a colonoscopy, and you know, Marianne, you want to maybe biopsy. You know, you're going to be a little concerned about someone who didn't stop there, right. or Zeralto, appropriately. That you're not going to biopsy, and then you have to go in and do the procedure again. Uh, and patient off the drug. So we tell everybody you're going to have a procedure two days off the drug. Is very safe. Uh, so two days off, you're 
Remember the blood, these blood, these blood thinners, the newer ones, Seralto, Eliquis, and Pradaxa, their half-life is uh, short, as Marianne, you mentioned earlier on in, the, in our conversation here. So after being off the drug two days, they're cleared from your body and you can have the procedure safely. So I feel very comfortable. And if somebody's at really high risk, yeah. I'm sorry, Gino, but yeah. you feel comfortable doing that. But if somebody's in, in an unusual, and, and it, medicine is all about the nuances, am I right? You can have yes. 100 people and you give each one an aspirin and somebody could die from it. You can't predict. So we are ready for the, you know, always prepare for the worst. So somebody might go in and out of AFib or they might have a, we want to talk about hereditary thrombophilia as well. But if somebody is really, it's not safe to stop it for two days, we might bring them into the hospital and put them on heparin and that keeps their blood. Then we stop their oral med, we put them on heparin and we can stop that. It's it's still four hours in advance and it completely disappears. So there are, there are dances we can do to keep you safe. So don't stop your medicine without asking us, right? Very good. Um, Mary, I think if you adhere to that, that's the best thing to do. Yeah. So do you know, some people, it's more common than our listeners might think, have a genetic condition called thrombophilia, philia like Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. We love, we love to thrombose. We love to clot. They clot abnormally and they might not have had an incident yet, or they may have, that's why you ask them or the anesthesia or People say, have you ever had a clot in an unusual place, your arm instead of your leg or in near your kidney or anybody in your family or at an early age, long before you're pregnant, that hormones change, you know, no risk factors. Whoa, why is this clot showing up in somebody in our family tree? How do you go about that and how do you treat them? So uh, what I always do, just like you said, I do ask the question, have you ever had a blood clot? And people say, well, yeah, I had a blood clot, you know, five years ago after surgery. I says, anybody have any blood clots in your family? Mom, dad, brothers or sisters, aunts, uncles. And they'll say, oh, yes, uh, on my mom's side, um, my my mom had a blood clot and her sister did. Um, and, and her other sister had a blood clot. Now I'm worried that there may be a hereditary clotting disorder, a thrombophilia. So I then tell the patient, look, I think we should probably check your blood. And I usually pick the two most common thrombophilias in the world. They're the most prevalent in the world. Uh, and they are factor factor five Leiden and prothrombin gene mutation. Those are the two genes that can cause thrombophilia which means an increased risk for clotting, just as you mentioned, Marianne. So I mm-hmm. tell patients, we're going to do those two tests. They're genetic tests. They take about uh, two weeks to come back when you draw them. So if you're going to do it before a surgical procedure, you got to give yourself some time to get them back uh, if you really want to know that about the patient. And I think it's important to have that on the in the record so that you can yes. make sure you're using the right prevention for blood clots because those patients have a high risk. Mm-hmm. And a really careful surgeon is going to ask that as well. They're going to say, before I do this elective surgery, is this in your family tree? Do you know, marathon runners, sometimes I see, I have several young uh, people right. who come to us with anemia, GI docs work up anemia because we want to make sure there's not a uh, hidden blood loss. It's so it's such a small trickle. You don't see blood on the toilet tissue, but it's hidden in the stool. So we check the colon for ulcerative colitis or cancer. We check the upper exam for ulcers, et cetera. And if they're both normal, and I learned that the person does a lot of running from their feet, hitting the pavement, pounding, pounding, we end up doing an extra study that finds tiny micro bleeding in the small intestine. Mm-hmm. 
when, so we know to look for that. How about, so if somebody's on a blood thinner, is the treadmill, if they're doing regular exercise like we want them to do, does that put them at risk for any micro bleeding anywhere? So I, I always, patients always ask me that. They say, hey, look, would I get micro bleeding to occur? And I say, well, the only reason you could do that is if you did have some AV malformations in your colon that would bleed should you traumatize them by running. But I've never, I've, the marathoners, always, I'm always worry about them, especially the young women. I worry about estrogen with them if they're taking birth control pills. I, I took care of recently of a, a triathlete uh, who was taking uh, estrogen replacement um, uh, as, part, uh, as part of her, her gynecologic care. And she developed a blood clot. She was a triathlete. And it was oh. amazing. She she was very very thin, ran a lot. But the point is, is it still doesn't protect you from developing blood clots. So I tell right. runners, I say, I never, I tell people, if you get a blood clot in your leg, I stop you from running for three months, three months, and I then you can go back to running. Uh, and I yeah. give them that time. Yeah. It gives the chance for the clot to go away or to to stick to the wall or dissolve itself. Makes sense. Yeah. One quick thought before we end the segment, Gina, we talked the other day and I learned so much always from listening to you that with COVID, that inflammatory state that was causing damage to people's lungs, kidneys, the reason it was causing strokes and heart attacks, it was making the lining of arteries inflamed and clots were forming more easily and clots were causing strokes, et cetera. But we did not end up uh, putting people on anticoagulation routinely, did we? No. And what happened was there were some people that actually did marry like My colleagues in New York City actually were putting people on full dose blood thinner with no blood clots. In the hospital? In the hospital. Or as outpatient. Yeah, so, in, as in the hospital. At least there you can control it. You yeah, can control it. You're not sending people out, you know, home. Uh-huh. Exactly right. And what happened was people were bleeding because, <gasps> oh. because they were getting too much blood thinner. Oh. So COVID was a, a harder issue to tackle. And so Mm -hmm. uh, what happened was then that we start thinking about maybe we should send people who had COVID home on blood thinners. And that was not good as well. That turned out just as bad. And our friends, my friends down in, in, um, in Brazil uh, and Argentina did a study uh, and uh, they call it the Michelle trial. I don't know why, Uh, but they gave people blood thinner who went home and sure enough, they had, they developed bleeding problems. So the point is COVID was a different different challenge for us because the inflammation you talked about was pretty significant. Mm-hmm. We just didn't mm-hmm. know how to handle it. So I, I think why I, I never send people with COVID home on blood thinners. No, uh, no. we watch and we learn, you know, it, yes. it's, it's meant to keep us humble. Let's take a little break and we'll be back for our wrap up. Your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is presented exclusively by independence blue cross. At Independence Blue Cross, we believe in giving you the tools you need to pursue your healthiest life. From premiums as low as $0 per month to health discounts and cash rewards, it pays to have coverage with Independence. With the strongest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free 24-7 virtual doctor visits, you can feel confident that quality care is always within reach. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. 
When you have joint pain, you need a physician who eats, sleeps, and breathes joints. Someone so focused on their specialty, they've written the book on it, literally. You need an exceptionally specialized physician from Rothman Orthopedics. They not only specialize in orthopedics, each Rothman physician only focuses on one area of the body, which means you can have confidence that you can get past the pain and be what you were. Schedule conveniently online at RothmanOrtho.com. Official orthopedic partner of the Eagles, Phillies, and Sixers. Now, your weekly prescription brought to you by Genentech, the science-driven company that pioneered the biotech industry to transform how we treat the world's most complex health problems. And we're in our final segment of Your Radio Doctor. We call this segment Your Weekly Prescription brought to you by Genentech. Gino, we've learned so much about blood clots, how to prevent them, how to treat them. I, I was reading an interesting fact about warfarin, and some of our listeners might realize that that was originally designed as rat poisoning. Mm, yummy. But it all started out as far as the 1920s. I'm bringing this up for a reason, that cattle in North America were dying of internal bleeding. You probably know this a lot better than I. And they finally traced it to mold in damp hay, and they found the natural substance called dicumarol, worked on it. Lots of variations led to warfarin, 1948 rat poisoning, and then became um, approved for humans in 1954. So what do we see there? It took 20, 30 plus years to figure that out. And we hope, as we said with COVID, that people work together and figure it out. It takes time and we have to be patient. We have to be humble. So speaking of being humble, we want to tell our patients a few take-home messages. Good, Maria. And I think the key here is the bracelet. Uh, I tell my patients, if you're taking a blood thinner, it's important to wear a bracelet or a necklace that are made now. You can get them at your... uh, you know, CVS, you know, Walgreens, you know, Rite Aid, any of those places do have them where you can purchase the bracelet. So it tells the doctor uh, what medicine, blood thinner you're taking. In case you're in an accident, you're not with a family member sure. and you're in the emergency room, they look at your wrist and they see you're taking Xeralto. So at least they know what they're dealing with in terms of the meds. So I think that's very important. Is that what it says, Gina, the actual med or does it say I'm on blood thinner? Yes. It says the medication, which is even better. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yes, which is even better. Mm-hmm. And so, and don't feel, I know a lot of men get worried about wearing bracelets. Uh, so I said, you could wear a chain, you know, a necklace uh, that could say that, you know? Either one makes you a rock star. So like, it makes you very cool if you wear a bracelet or a necklace if you're a man. So do it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's an important takeaway message. I think the second one is make sure you, you let your physician know if you have another prescribed medicine by another doctor for say an infection you had and you started to an antibiotic that maybe could interact or you should let your doctor know should anything change like you were recently sick you saw your GI doctor and they noted that your liver tests were abnormal I think mm. let your doctor know any changes in your health or medications so that they can appropriately take uh, action and advise you and please don't go to the drugstore, health food store, and take a, an herb, a preparation, or a supplement without asking your doctor, especially aspirin. Yes, Marianne, mm-hmm. very good, because people often forget that that's not a good thing to do. It actually could increase your risk for bleeding. Aspirin or, or Motrin-like oh, yes. meds, right? They, yeah. they interfere with clotting, so they could make your... Uh, bleeding risk even higher. And then symptoms, Gino, as you said, if you get off a long flight or a a long car ride and your leg hurts, you got to get right to an emergency department. And the other issue, if that clot has decided to travel to your lung, 
acute onset of chest pain, difficulty breathing, that could be a lung clot. Got to move on that. How about if you hit your head? And Marianne, you're absolutely right. I think if you hit your head, you start developing a headache or you have blurred vision uh, or you develop some dizziness with nausea. I think then you have to be evaluated. I think that that's, so I think oftentimes people do not think that it's serious and they wait. And next thing you know, they're going to the emergency room at midnight uh, when they could have gone there at four o'clock in the afternoon when the injury occurred. So keep that in mind. I say, get care when you see something is unusual, hit your head, fell down the steps, banged your head on the car door and, but wait, see if you have any symptoms and then get to the emergency room. Mm -hmm. So you can, and if you miss a dose of your medication, don't experiment and say, well, I'll take two today because I took one. Please let us know. And if you're going to have a procedure, yes. ask the, the doctor who orders the medication. Do you know any websites people can visit to learn more? Well, I, I, the heart.org uh, is probably one of the, the big websites I would recommend uh, because I think there's everything you need to know there about blood thinners from stroke to uh, atrial fibrillation, which we talked about earlier. Uh, and the use of these blood thinners. So I think that's a, a really a good one. And then there's there's uh, uh, the uh, American College of, uh, of Physicians, uh, their website, uh, .org, AmericanCollegeOfPhysicians.org is very good. Uh, and then there's the uh, International Society of Thrombosis and Hemostasis, ISTH.org. And that's another website you can go to. But everybody, uh, Marianne uses Google. I hate to tell you that, but they use Google. And uh, Google, Google will get you answers sometimes. Don't be Dr. Google. So we're right. going to put them on our website and our newsletter. Heart.org is the American Heart Association. Um, ASH, A-S-H, American Society of Hematology.org and the American College of Physicians. Dr. Gina Murley, you are such a superstar. I admire your work so much, and I'm fortunate to have you as a colleague and as a friend. Thank you so much. You too, Marianne. Thank you for having me. And now for your real champion. We call this segment, March to the Beat of a Different Mummer. Welcome to Dr. Vince Basile, who wears several hats. He's a mummer and marches as a comic with the Caroleum Club, Gaelic for friends of mine. He's a diehard Eagles fan born in South Philly. Oh, yeah. And he's a third-year resident in emergency medicine at Einstein Medical Center in Philadelphia. Put them all together, and we welcome Dr. Vince Basile. Hi, thank you for having me on. Vince, take us back to New Year's Day. You had a great morning marching as a mummer. Then you go to the Eagles game. You're laser focused, watching the birds. Tell us what happened after that. Yeah, so around the second quarter, you know, I'm pretty focused into the game. Um, then we kind of hear some commotion going on behind me in the stands. Um, you know, I'm, I'm locked into the game. We're down at this point. And my girlfriend actually uh, started hitting on my shoulder and saying, hey, I, I think you need to go up there and uh, help somebody. Uh, I turn around and I see security kind of huddled around somebody a couple rows up. Um, I walk up to the section, uh, introduce myself, convince them I'm actually a doctor because I have this like face pants, sunglasses, the whole nine, the mummer suit on. Uh, and then I walk up there and a, a nurse, thankfully, had already beat me there by a little bit. And she was up there, too. So she was assessing the man. And again, you have to your first step. You, you jump into work mode. You're in go mode. And you say, uh, yes, security. I'm in this hot pink satin dress <laughs> because you're a wench, which I think means in the mummers in the old days, men were any of the uh, 
the, the girls in the parade because girls weren't allowed in the parade. <laughs> so you're in your sat, pink satin dress with the turquoise ruffles, your face is painted, and they finally believe you're a doctor. And you find this gentleman who's sort of upside. He fell head first on these concrete steps in a twisted position. And you think that's probably why he's not breathing. And the nurse said to you. Yeah. yeah. So you know, we walk up and she's nurse tells me she's concerned for him. Um, you know, I, I take a look at him and then I, I realize he's not looking too good. So kind of immediately kick into work mode and my training comes into play at this point. Um, he's, he's like head over heel or heels over head, uh, all twisted up. Um, he's looking like blue in the face. Uh, doesn't look, he's not moving. He's not responding. So that's kind of what we walk up to it first. And, and my first thought is we got to, you know, got to go down my, my training need and everything there. And the first thing we think of when we find somebody who's fallen or in an accident, you don't want to move them until the EMTs come with a body board, the flat, because you don't want if they've broken their neck or their back. But in this case, you didn't have a choice. You couldn't say, hmm, well, he's not breathing. I can't really get a good pulse. That's the acute that nobody would fault you for moving him gently. You all, you got help all together. You moved him gently, put him in a flat position Nurse started doing compressions. You took your turn. Paramedics came in about 10 minutes. But you're, you're out in the field. You're not in the hospital with the whole team of nurses and techs. How did that make you feel? Yeah, you know, normally I'm used to having an entire hospital's worth of resources with me. And uh, this time, you know, I just have me and a, and a nurse. And that's it. You know, nothing else around me. So we just kind of did everything we can. Like you said, you know, tried to move into a position because he didn't look like he was breathing. He looked like he was occluding his airway. So did that. And then we got right to chest compressions because we didn't feel pulse on them. So. And we often in the, in the field like that, sorry, but you're going to elevate the person's feet. Even if you have to take people's coats or tablecloths in a restaurant or something like that to keep the blood going to their head. And the other big thing that you did right away, you get somebody to call 911. And if you're alone trying to do CPR, you put the, you call 911 and leave it on speaker. So if you're a lay person, they can guide you and tell you what to do. So Vince, Thanks to you, this gentleman regained consciousness, and when he woke up, he saw your beautiful neon <laughs> rainbow face with the pit vipers, the hot pink satin dress with the ruffles, and he says... Yes, where the score of the game was. <laughs> <laughs> now, I think it's pretty cool because you told me the, the, the theme for Carolium this year was, you know, we think of Happy Days Are Here Again or Odom Golden Slippers, but your theme this year, the reason you're all neon and bright colors... The 70s and 80s, Mummers TV, like MTV. So you're all dressed in 70s and 80s. And what's cool is you were playing songs like Let's Get Physical. But I was thinking you probably included the 1977 hit from the Bee Gees, Staying Alive, (laughs) which is what you did. And you helped this man stay alive. And really, when we do CPR class, we we tell the the instructors say, do the compressions to the beat of Staying Alive, which you did. Vince Basile, thank you so much. I'd love to have you back someday to talk about emergency medicine. But beyond, thank you. Thanks for listening to your radio doctor every Saturday afternoon at five here on Talk Radio twelve ten WPHT. Listen to this show and all of our shows on Odyssey.com, A U D A C Y. This is your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, wishing you and the Eagles a happy Valentine's Day and a very happy, healthy, safe week with the ones you love. Always here to remind you that your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. To contact Dr. Marianne and to listen to today's show as well as past shows, visit yourradiodoctor.com. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program has been pre recorded.